I'll ask you to go in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 6. Exodus chapter 6, as we uh, get back into our series here, it's been a few weeks. Um, we went to camp, had church at camp that Thursday night, and several of you went up uh, for the service, and uh, chuck wagon service, so thankful for that. And uh, then last week had Brother Sam Thomas here going to India, and so um, that was such a joy to have him in here and showing the ministry and so excited that we got to be a part of contributing toward the projects that they've got going on there. So thankful for those who faithfully give to missions. Uh, anyhow, so it's been a few weeks. So the last time we were in Exodus, uh, Moses and Aaron appeared before Pharaoh and they demanded Israel's release. But instead of releasing them and letting them go, Pharaoh said, no, you're lazy. <laughs> you're idle. So I'm going to make life much harder on you. And so Israel got discouraged in the process and they came and brought their discouragement before Pharaoh and of course found no mercy before Pharaoh. Then they brought it to Moses and Aaron and they're looking at each other like this isn't, this isn't what we thought God was going to do. And so everybody was confused. Everybody was discouraged and downtrodden by the oppression they were facing already at the hands of the Egyptians. And then it just got worse. But Moses brought his discouragement before the Lord and that's the right place to bring your discouragement because God has the encouragement that you need. Moses called into question God's goodness, called into question his character, called into question his own personal calling from God and was just kind of like, what is going on here? Have you ever been like that in life, trying to follow the Lord and only for everything to seem to fall apart? But instead of rebuking Moses for questioning God, God offered him some encouragement. And that's what we're going to see here in uh, chapter 6, the encouragement that God gave him to continue going forward with God's plan. When plans fall through, it's easy to get discouraged, isn't it? When we first started house shopping back in uh, 2019, um, we... I decided, okay, now is probably the time to sell a condo, get a house, you know, before going on deputation and not having a full-time job and those kind of things. And so um, decided to do that, started looking. We came across this house that was pretty awesome. It was a little bit of a weird layout, kind of a quad level with like a, a loft going across the top. But, but the staple of this house was the deck on the backyard. I mean, it was like as big as this platform, but the coolest part was it had a built-in slide. And so the kids could slide off the deck down to the yard. I mean, it was pretty awesome. And so beautiful kitchen and all of that. So we decided to put an offer in on this house and then found out a few days later, they accepted somebody else's offer. And so we didn't get that one. It was like back to the drawing board. And so we started looking again and we came across another one. And this house was like our dream house, had everything that we wanted. It was ranch style so we could avoid steps. We had been going up and down condo stairs for uh, seven years. And so, uh, we were looking forward to that. And I mean, just a wonderful layout, beautifully landscaped yard, an awesome, uh, composite deck on the back. And then in the basement, we wanted to have a place where we could house missionaries and to be a blessing in that way. And of course my in-laws will come back from Mexico city on furlough. So we wanted to be able to take care of them. And so this one had a fully finished basement, two huge bedrooms, a full bathroom, a massive living room, and even a little kitchenette. And so in terms of like the missions apartment type thing we were looking for, this thing was perfect. It was beautiful. And, and on top of that, it was in a neighborhood where some of our best friends lived as well, just a couple streets away. 
And so we put in an offer on that, and it was below asking because it was right at the top of our budget. And surprisingly, they accepted the offer. And we're like, oh, wow, this is awesome. Well, now we need to get our condo on the market. And things were pretty hot at that time, so we didn't uh, worry about getting that sold. And so we had this contract. We had a month to get it sold. And after a month, we did not only, I mean, we had very few showings, but especially no offers whatsoever. And it was like the market just dipped right at that time. And we were thinking, man, what is going on here? Well, that family graciously extended our contract another month. And so we had another month to sell it. And same thing, we were dropping the price, but still not getting any bites on it. And so then that one fell through and we were so bumped by that. And so back to the drawing board again. And uh, we came across the neighborhood that we actually live in now and uh, talked to the sales lady there. It was new construction and, and uh, it was able to fit our budget. And so we were able to even go through the process of picking the fixtures and the colors and everything that we wanted on there. We were so excited, went through the uh, electrical inspections, the framing inspections, did all of those things. And after about a month, we could not get an offer on our house. And so then they extended another month and we went another month, still no offer. And we went another month and still no offer. And so then that one fell through and we're like three strikes you're out. You know, we've had so much invested in all this and it was just a bummer. It was discouraging so much to the point where we decided, you know, we took our condo off the market. We just kind of threw in the towel and said, forget it and gave ourselves, you know, about a month and a half to Calmed down there, did some a little bit of work on the condo before we, we were going to put it back on the market. And so went through all these different buildups and all this excitement. And, and I really felt like I'd prayed about this. I'd counseled with my dad, who was my pastor as well, if this was the right time. And we really felt like this was what the Lord was leading us to do. And so we're taking this step and everything just kept falling through time and time and time again. And we got so discouraged, we just wanted to throw in the towel. Sometimes that's how life is when you're trying to follow the Lord. You think that God's telling you to do something, and so you start doing what he wants you to do, what you thought he wanted you to do, and then you get not too far into this before everything just keeps falling through, and you still don't have a job, you still don't have a relationship, uh, you're still, marriage still isn't any better, your family's still a train wreck, finances have gotten worse, your health has deteriorated even worse, uh, your ministry's not going better, the church isn't growing, it's been a long time since you've seen anybody saved or baptized, and you're just finding that nothing that you're doing is going the way that you thought it would when you genuinely tried to follow the Lord. And it's during those times you can become so discouraged that you just want to throw in the towel, give up on following the Lord. But what you need to do in those moments is not throw in the towel, not give up, not get discouraged because you're already there. You're already discouraged. So don't discourage yourself further. What you really need is a shot in the arm. You need some encouragement to keep going forward with God's plan, even at times when it doesn't seem like it's working, when nothing's going to work out. Encouragement is exactly what Moses needed here. In chapter 6, God gives Moses the encouragement that he needed to go forward with God's plan. And what I want us to see from our text tonight is how God provided encouragement for Moses to go forward with God's plan. Because we need to know, uh, we need to, really the title of our message tonight is, is the best encouragement for the discouraged heart. 
We want to know how God goes about encouraging us, where we can find encouragement so that when everything's falling apart, we just stick with God's plan. Keep going forward. Keep doing what God wants us to do. So how does God encourage Moses? Well, the first thing that God does is he reminds Moses of his present power. If you look at verse number one, it says, Then the Lord said unto Moses, Now shalt thou see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand shall he let them go, and with a strong hand shall he drive them out of this land. See, what's happened here is Moses has very quickly forgotten that the God who called him up in the mountain is still the same God that's with him in Egypt today, that I am still is. And we're talking about the first time he goes to stand before Pharaoh, he's already forgotten how mighty and how powerful his God is. He has seen everything that Pharaoh has done to Israel, but now what God is saying is, I'm going to show you what I'm going to do to Pharaoh. And so he says, I'm going to lead you out with a strong hand. I'm going to use my hand to force his hand. And he's going to be so tired of you guys that like a bouncer at a club, he's just going to throw you out of here, drive you away from it. So you'll see what I'm going to do. But understand, this isn't any new information, is it? Twice, chapter three and chapter four, God told Moses, you're going to go and stand before Pharaoh and he's not going to let you go. And I'm going to lead you out with a strong hand. And so this isn't new information, but this is something Moses has forgotten, that he's so discouraged and so disheartened by the way that his people are being abused and beaten by the Egyptians and the way that they're coming to him saying, hey, what's with this? This isn't the deliverance that we were thinking. And Moses is like, that's right. This is not the deliverance that we were expecting to have. And so he's discouraged. He's questioning God in these moments. And God says, you have no reason to question me. I've kind of already told you this. How soon have you forgotten what I said? But he also forgot God's name already too. Because in verse two, it says, and God spake unto Moses and said unto him, I am the Lord. I am that I am. I am the self-existent one. I am the all-powerful one. I am the self-sufficient one. Verse 3, And I appeared unto Abraham and unto Isaac and unto Jacob by the name of God Almighty, or El Shaddai, but by my name Jehovah was I not known unto them. What he's saying is God had revealed himself to the patriarchs as El Shaddai, the almighty God, the God who transcends nature, the God who overpowers nature. Because remember, he revealed himself as El Shaddai to a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman and told them, you're going to have a baby. And what happened? They had a baby. What he's saying is, your fathers came to know me as a God who is more powerful than nature. But they didn't know. They didn't fully understand who I am. And now I've revealed myself to you as Jehovah, as Yahweh, as I am, that not only am I more powerful than nature, I don't need anybody's help. I don't need Pharaoh's help. I don't need Israel's help. I don't need your help. You're going to see my strong and mighty hand. And so when things got tough for Moses, when things got desperate, when he was in a scramble, he quickly forgot who exactly it was who had called him to this task. 
I've had times when I'm in a scramble and I'm, I'm trying to find something, you know, I'm in a hurry, I'm running late for work or late for church or something like that. And, and I'm looking all over the place, where are my keys at? You know, and I'm like, why are these kids always taking my keys? Or maybe the dog took my keys. I don't know where my keys are at, only to find out they're right there in my hand. <laughs> You know, or you're looking for your sunglasses and you're going crazy and then your wife tells you, hey, they're on top of your head, you know. See, when we're in a scramble, when we're in a frenzy, we tend to very easily forget where things are. And a lot of times the thing that we're looking for the most is right there with us. And that was certainly what was going on with Moses here. And that's what happens in our lives is that we can quickly forget that the God who called us is still the almighty, self-sufficient, self-existent God. And we're still serving him today. That I am still is. That the things he did back then are still the things he can do today in our lives. But oh, how quickly when we get discouraged and frustrated and our lives are in scramble mode. You know what I'm talking about? When we're scrambling around like chickens with our heads cut off, we think that we got to bring something to the table here, completely forgetting that the God who has ordered us to take this step in our lives or the God who has commanded us to obey his word in this particular way is the God who is overall, the God who made it all, the God who knows it all, and the God who possesses it all. He is the God that we are serving today. And so in our times of deep discouragement, God wants us to remember that he's still on his throne He's still present with us today, and he's still of sufficient power even in our most desperate and discouraging times. And so in those times when we face discouragement, we need to remember God's present power. It's not a power of the past. It's a power right here in your life today. Number two, the second thing that God did here is he reminds Moses of his past promise. If you look at verse number four, he says this, and I have also established my covenant. There's that wonderful word all throughout Genesis. And I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage, wherein they were strangers. And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage. And I have remembered my covenant. See, Moses is in a discouraged place right now, and Israel is in a discouraged place right now where they're beginning to doubt whether or not God is going to fulfill his promise to them. They're aware of the promises made to their fathers to give them the land of Canaan, and as they're here in Egyptian bondage, they're very far away from that. And so their current uh, conditions here uh, lead them to forget about God's promise to think God isn't going to be able to fulfill his promise or to even think that God is breaking his promises. See, because we have the tendency to break promises that as a father, I can at times make promises to my kids and then, and then bam, something comes up. You know, you got to do a funeral service on your day off or, or you had this trip planned and then uh, something tragic happens that you've got to take care of. And so there are times it's of necessity that we uh, break promises but then there are times if you're a husband in here, you forget to, you just forget about those promises you made to your spouse. Whether you promised her that date, you promised her that trip or that special time to go out with her. And then all of a sudden poof, it's in the back of your mind or you had to work late or you had something else come up. And so we, we, because we are fallen 
because we are unfaithful, because we're not always true to our word, we break promises. And there can be times in your life when you're considering something that you are applying from the scripture that that you're putting into practice in your life, and it's not going the way it says. (laughs) You ever been there before? Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he'll not depart from it. Well, here he is in his 30s and 40s and still off being a knucklehead doing his own thing. You know, you think that way? Has God broken his promise to help my marriage? Has God broken his promise to train my kids, to to provide, to protect, to hear my prayers? But God wants you to be reminded that he has not fallen. (laughs) He is not unfaithful. He is perfect, sinless, a God that cannot lie, a God that cannot deceive, a God who knows every promise he made. He's a God who has every intent to fulfill every promise he made, and he knows exactly when and how he'll fulfill that promise that he made. And so we, when things aren't going the way that we thought they would, like Moses, we have the tendency to call God's faithfulness into question. But it's during those times God wants to remind us from his word that he is faithful. And so instead of jumping ship the first time that things go south, we need to just stick to God's plan, continue doing what he's called us to do, and just trust that in his timing and in his way, he's going to bring it to pass. He wants us to remember that he is faithful to his promises. And so when Moses was discouraged, God reminded him, first of all, uh, of his present power. Then he reminds him of his past promises. And then number three, I want you to see that he reminds Moses of his future plans. If it says in verse number six, wherefore say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord. (laughs) There he is again, go remind them who I am. He says, I am the Lord. And watch this. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will rid you out of their bondage and I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments and I will take you to me for a people and I will be to you a God and ye shall know that I am the Lord your God which bringeth you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will bring you into the land concerning which I did swear to give it to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob, and I will give it you for an heritage. I am the Lord. And so in this time, when it was very easy for the conditions in Egypt to cloud their, uh, their, their, their faith in God's promises and in God's future plans for their country, they panic They get discouraged. They're disheartened. They're questioning God in this time. And God wants them to know, hey, my plans are in no way affected by the conditions of your life. See, a lot of times in our lives, we get focused on the conditions around us when we're dealing with God's plan, when it's not going the way that that we thought it would. Instead of focusing on God's character, we focus on our conditions, So I remember a time when I was in high school, my mom and I were driving to Enid, Oklahoma to go and see some family, and we were heading out I-70 toward Kansas, and we hit white-out conditions. I mean, the craziest blizzard that I've ever driven in, and the the snow's blowing sideways. It's coming up off the semis. You can't see the semi-truck six feet in front of you, and I mean, all you see in every direction is nothing but snow. And because of the conditions there, it just feels like we're never going to reach our destination here. And it felt like we never would. We had a detour. We had to go a different way. 
But a lot of times in our lives, that's what it can be like. We're trying to follow God. We know he's got an end destination in mind for our lives. But here in the midst, when everything seems to be falling apart, the clouds are surrounding us. The snow is swirling. It's white out condition. And you can't see in any way what direction this is going. And it's in those times that we want to just stop that we want to quit, that we want to turn back and go the other way. But God wants to assure you today that your conditions in no way affect his plans, that he's still got a plan and he wants you to stick with that plan and continue on. And so what happens here with, with the nation of Israel is that God's got the destination for them in the land of Canaan. But while they're in Egypt, all they can see is the bondage. All they can see is the oppression. All they can feel is the grief and the pain and the bitterness uh, boiling up within their souls. But God wants them uh, to know that, that he gives them, let me put it this way, he gives them seven I will statements here. You know, in the Bible, seven is the number of perfection, completion. And he says, I will do this and I will do this and I will do this so that they would know you still have a future. I still have a future for you. And that future is certain. It will come to pass. And so there can be times in your life when your current conditions are, are frustrating you and they're creating this doubt, this fear, and it's surrounding you. But God wants you to know he knows your conditions and your conditions can't change his plans. And so God's future plan for Israel was not, we need to understand this, it was not some random uh, anonymous plan for them. It was a plan to redeem them. It was a plan to free them, to adopt them as his people, to give them an inheritance. And so what we really find here in this text is that God is encouraging Moses by pointing him back to the covenant. He's pointing him to his redemptive plans for their nation. See, in verse 6, you'll see at the end of verse 6, he says, And I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments. This word redeem, it means to buy back or to purchase off the slave market. That's where Israel's at right now. They're in slavery to Egypt. And the only way for them to be delivered out is if somebody pays the price is if somebody comes into their lives and into their situation and does whatever it takes at all costs necessary to free them from it. And God says, that's me. I'm your redeemer. I'm going to do whatever it takes to deliver you. And I want to point out to you in verse seven, it says, and I will take you to me for a people and I will be to you a God and ye shall know that I am the Lord your God, which bringeth you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I want to point out something to you theologically that is key to the rest of the Old Testament. And that is this. This is the first time that God declares himself to be the Lord your God who's bringing you out of Egypt. But you know what you find throughout the rest of the Old Testament? 67 plus times God refers to himself to the nation of Israel as the Lord your God, which brought you up out of the land of Egypt. You know what that means? That, that, that as Israel considers who their God is, God wants them to directly tie the Lord, their God to the God who brought them out of their slavery 
to the God who freed them, the Lord, their redeemer. And of these 67 times, every single time this phrase is used, it's reference to why Israel should serve God, why they should commit to God, why they should return to God, or why they should trust in God. What you find out is that it's, it's God's revelation of his name as Jehovah who brings you out of Egypt that became his mantra with the nation of Israel. In other words, their redemption from Egypt became the basis of God's relationship with them. It became the basis of why they should trust him, the basis of why they should commit to him. Let me put it this way, the basis of why they should stick to his plan even when it's not working. Let me put it this way, I've got my wedding ring up here, and of course, when Hannah and I were dating, I bought her a ring, an engagement ring, and that engagement ring cost a pretty penny, especially for a poor Bible college student, and, uh, but, but I paid the price for it, right? And so I got that wedding ring, and I proposed to her, and I put that on her finger, that engagement ring, and then came time for the wedding, and I went out and got a wedding band and spent more. You know, guys get one ring. you got to pay twice, and theirs are twice as expensive or five times as expensive. Anyhow, you know what that is? A demonstration of love. <laughs> What happens is you go and get that wedding ring, you stand up there before God, and you make this covenant with that person. This is the only person I'm going to be married to for the rest of my life. And you put that, that ring on her finger. And what that means is that as we go through our relationship, as things get tough, as things get challenging financially, physically, mentally and emotionally when things get maybe heated in a marriage relationship or when there's there's doubt there's confusion that what what that means is that you can look back at that wedding ring at least this is what it's supposed to mean I, I wish it still had its significance in America today that it used to but you she could look at her wedding ring and could be reminded he paid the price for this as a demonstration of his love a demonstration of his commitment. And it can take her mind back to that picture when I slid that finger on her ring when we got engaged up at Odessa Lake in Rocky Mountain National Park. And when we stood at that altar at Rocky Mountain Bible Baptist Church, it gives a time, it gives a place that says this, we are in this together and we're in it forever. Amen. Redemption from Egypt was Israel's wedding ring to God. Because he continuously throughout the Old Testament, when they've wandered astray, when they've been unfaithful to him, when things get challenging and things get tough, he reminds them, come back to me. I'm the Lord your God that brought you out of Egypt. I made a covenant with you. I'm in a covenant relationship with you. And if you'll come back to me, I'll come back to you. And you can see God over and over again throughout the rest of the Old Testament declaring, I am in a covenant with you. That redemption from Egypt became the basis of their relationship with God. And what I want to tell you today is this. Your redemption is the basis of your relationship with God. It's your wedding ring as well. What is? The fact that Jesus went to a cross 
and he paid the price and he shed his innocent blood for you to redeem you from your slavery to sin and the bondage of addiction and anger and lust and all of those things that weigh you down and destroy your life. He breaks those chains by faith in his name and in his blood. And so when you accept Jesus Christ as your savior, he redeems you from all of that and and that salvation. And I don't get how you can believe that you can lose your salvation because the fact that Jesus said, no, I paid the price and it was paid once for all, not once for every, once for all, once for all. He's your redeemer. And it's his role as redeemer that is the basis of your relationship with him. And what you find as you go forward here in the Old Testament law is the theme of redemption or redeemer becomes an integral part of the nation of Israel, of their culture. Because what happens is is that there's a kinsman redeemer that's introduced in the law. And this kinsman redeemer becomes somewhat of a family champion. That what happens is is when he's a family member who's more well-off, he's a family member who's more self-sufficient, a family that has a lot more money. He's a family member that serves as a protector and a reclaimer of the family. And so if a family member is murdered, the kinsman redeemer is the revenger of blood. He goes to bring to justice the guilty party. What you find is that if a family member becomes so in debt that they've got to sell themselves and their family and all their property into uh, slavery, that the kinsman redeemer can step in and because he's got more money and he's got more capability, he can step in and buy them out of that slavery. He can buy the, the husband and the wife and the kids and he can buy the property and he can send them out free again. The kinsman redeemer, if a, if a family member dies and leaves a widow and leaves children behind, the redeemer would take his brother's family and he would raise up children to him and he would restore property to his brother's name. The redeemer pays whatever price necessary to grant freedom and family. That's what the redeemer does. And the kinsman redeemer represents all that Jesus has done for us that he is far wealthier than us. (laughs) He is far more perfect than us. He is far more powerful and far more influential than us. He destroys the enemy who seeks to destroy us, namely sin and death and the world and flesh and, and the devil. He's paid off our sin debt and he takes us in. He's paid the price for our freedom through his death on the cross and he's brought us into a relationship with our father. Jesus is our redeemer. But while here, here's the difference, while the kinsman redeemer was obligated to redeem family, Through their family ties, here's the reality. We were the enemies of God, alienated and estranged from God. Nothing good in us, nothing moral in us, nothing righteous in us that could ever earn the redemption that Jesus brought our way. But out of his mercy and his grace, he willingly went to that cross and he laid down his life and he shed his blood to bring you into the family of God out of the slavery that you were in. And so whenever you're dealing with discouragement, how do you find the encouragement to go forward? Israel had a covenant, but you have a cross. 
And so when you're discouraged and you can't, uh, and, and you're struggling to go forward with God's plan, you're thinking about turning around, you're thinking about quitting, you're thinking about throwing in the towel, how can you find the encouragement you need to just stick with God's plan and keep going forward? And the simple answer is this, look back to the cross. <laughs> keep going back to the cross. Well, how in the world does the cross encourage me in this journey? There are some things in this text that directly tie to what Jesus has done for us that God did for Israel. And the first thing is this, the cross reminds you that you're free. It reminds you that you're free. Would you look at verse six again? Wherefore, say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will rid you out of their bondage. You hear what that says? I'm going to break the chains, and I'm going to free you. And that's exactly what Jesus has done for us. Romans chapter 6, verse 7 says, He that is dead is freed from sin. Verse number 12 says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. You know what that means? If you can let it let it not rain, that means the choice is in your hands. How is that possible? Because your old man, that fleshly nature that held you in chains that you were a slave to has been crucified with Jesus Christ on the cross. Therefore, you're free to do what's right now. You don't have to have those angry outbursts. You don't have to have those lustful passions. You don't have to have that envy and that covetousness. No, he's freed you from all of that. And so looking back to the cross will remind you that you have been liberated from sin in your life. You're free. Secondly, the cross reminds you that you're redeemed. Verse six, the end of verse six, and I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments. Galatians chapter three, verse 13 says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us. You know what that means? According to the law, the judgment for sin is death. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. And so that means that the curse for your sin, for you breaking God's law, was for you to be enslaved to death. You know what that means? You're gonna die and you're going to die, and you're going to keep on dying, and you're going to keep on dying in a place called hell. But what Christ has done is when he went to die on the cross, and he took the curse of sin upon himself, he redeemed you. He paid the price to buy you out of that eternal death, out of that eternal slavery, and to free you to life eternal, that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Colossians chapter 1 verse 14 says, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. And so that means that all those sins that were being held against you, it says this later in Colossians that he blotted out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. That he took every sin that you've ever, ever committed, every, every time you've broken God's law, and he nailed it to his cross. <laughs> that it's done. The price is paid. And it's paid in full so you can go free. We're talking about being redeemed and you are reconciled to a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Number three, the cross reminds you that you're adopted. That you're adopted. Verse seven, God says this, and I will take you to me for a people and I will be to you a God. When you look up that word people, you know what it means? A family. It means I'm going to take you who is not my family and I'm going to bring you unto myself and take you in as my family. 
See, and that's exactly what Jesus Christ has done for us. Galatians chapter four and verse four, it says, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. And then it says in verse seven, wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. (laughs) You know, that means that when Jesus shed his blood on the cross and you place your faith in him, that means that he frees you from that servitude, from that slavery and that bondage. And instead of making you just a servant of God, he makes you a son of God. It even says he sends forth the spirit of his son, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, that we can call God our daddy and our father. Why? Because he did what was necessary through the redemption provided on the cross to make you his family. He's adopted you. But what we have in America is not biblical adoption. Because here in America, when people adopt kids, those kids can choose to leave. Those, those foster parents can send the kid to someone else. Uh, those adoptive parents can disown those kids. But in the Greek and Jewish culture, you could not abandon them. If you adopted somebody, like you could disown your own kids, you could write your own kids out of the inheritance, but you could not write an adopted kid out of your inheritance. It was permanent. It was secure. It was impossible for that relationship to be done away. That is what Christ has done for you on the cross. He's made you a permanent, eternal child of God. Number four, the cross reminds you that you're an heir. Look at verse number eight. He says to Israel, and I will bring you into the land concerning the which I did swear to give it to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I will give it you for an heritage. That word heritage means inheritance. He tells, he tells Israel, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to free you. I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to adopt you. I'm going to give you an inheritance. You know what Jesus says to you through the cross? I'm going to free you. I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to adopt you. I'm going to give you an inheritance. First Peter chapter one, verse three says, blessed be God, our, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away reserved for you in heaven. And so when you're dealing with those times of discouragement and you can look back at the cross, what you can remember is that yes, you are free and yes, you are redeemed and yes, you are adopted, but you're also an heir of God through Jesus Christ. You know what that means? Everything that belongs to God belongs to you. Everything that belongs to Jesus belongs to you. Why? Because he paid the price for it. He made it possible. Colossians says he had made us meet. He has qualified us who are unqualified to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. And so looking back to the cross points us forward to the complete redemption at the return of Christ. That redemption will be sweeter than we can imagine. There is no sin, no evil, no violence, no tears, No sorrow, no cancer, no disease, no no financial problems, no family problems, no marriage problems, no kid problems. 
We can't imagine what it's going to be like. But on top of that, there are streets of gold, a crystal river, glassy sea, uh, and many mansions. And the transcendent blessing over them all is to enjoy the presence of our creator, our savior, our redeemer, Jesus Christ, face to face for all of eternity. And so when you look back to the cross and you remind yourself that you're free, that you're redeemed, that you're adopted, and that you're an heir of God through Christ, nothing will quite remind you of God's love in moments like this. When you're discouraged, when you don't think God loves you, when you don't think God cares for you, when you don't think God sees your need, when you don't think God is being faithful to his word, no, just look back to the cross. And you'll find everything he's promised to do for you to this point. He's already done it. So you can just keep trusting and keep sticking to his plan and keep moving forward, believing God's going to do everything he said he would do. There's a song written a few years ago by Joseph Havadank that says, let me take you to the cross. Let me stand there by your side as we look into the face of the one who chose to die. So when your story has been shattered and you're all alone and lost and you're asking if you're loved, let me take you to the cross. That's been what God's doing for us here tonight. That as you go through hardships in your life, when things aren't going the way you expected and you feel like throwing in the towel and just giving up on all this and walking away, just look to the cross Remember his love because the basis of your relationship with him is your redemption through Christ. But the reality is this. You cannot know or claim what it means to be redeemed if you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your savior. Jesus died to pay the price for your sin. And the Bible says that to receive redemption through Christ, you must first of all repent of your sin. That means that you just got to acknowledge, I'm a sinner. My sin is a problem, and it's a problem with God. My sin condemns me to hell. My sin is gravely offensive to God. If, if the judgment for God that's deemed to be just is hell, how offensive must my sin be in his sight? You have a change of heart and a change of mind about sin. And then it says you believe Jesus died and paid the price for your sin and that he rose again. And it simply says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know what that means? Repent, believe, call, and you can be saved. You can be free. You can be redeemed. You can be adopted. You can become an heir of God through Jesus Christ. If you'll make that decision today. If you are saved these are present realities in your life today. And what that means is if you feel like you'll never get over that addiction, you're wrong. You're free. I'll never get over my anger. You're free. I'll never get over my laziness. You're free. I'll never get over my bitterness. You're free. I'll never get over my addiction to drugs. You're free. My addiction to alcohol, you're free. My addiction to pornography, you are free. The only reason you are still dealing with those struggles today is because you are allowing yourself to be in those situations. But if you will look back to the cross 
and remember the fact that you're free. This is what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 6, that you got to know it's true, you got to reckon and accept it to be truth, and then you got to just follow the Holy Spirit and do the right thing. And, that, and you can be free. You can be free. You're redeemed, my friend. You're not a slave anymore. So don't live like a slave if you're not a slave. He paid the price for you. Go back to the cross and remember that's what he's done for you. And he brought you into God's family and he gave you an inheritance incorruptible that never fades away, reserved for you in heaven. Those are present realities in your life today through Jesus Christ. So when you come to those times in your life, when you're struggling to know if God really loves you or care for you, cares for you, just go back to the cross and consider this. If God loves you enough to provide these eternal riches at the expense of his only begotten son, doesn't he love you enough today to get you through what you're going through? Doesn't he love you enough to be everything that you need in just the right time and just the right place? Oh, yes. And so let the eternal riches of Christ through the cross encourage you to keep going forward with God's plan, knowing the assurance that he loves you, realizing your relationship with him is based on your redemption through Christ and just trust him and keep going. Father, we come to you tonight grateful for the encouragement that you provide for us in Christ. I'm so thankful that we can claim these promises that we are free. We are redeemed. We are adopted and we are heirs. And that's nothing we could do on our own. It's only through Christ. And so I pray if there are folks here tonight that are discouraged or disheartened by the struggles of their journey of faith, I pray they'd anchor their hope to the cross and let it provide the encouragement they need. I pray if there's anyone tuning in tonight that is not saved, that they would accept Christ as their savior and also claim these wonderful blessings that we have in Christ. It's in Jesus' wonderful name I pray, amen.